Quick announcements. We do prayer every Wednesday, 6 a.m. in this auditorium. And our plan was to cancel it for the summer, but there was a mild revolution that went on. So thank you to all of those who, who texted, voted, and emailed. And we will be doing prayer every Wednesday, 6 a.m. There's always 150 people, full band. It's amazing. You should consider joining us. It's going to be great. Hey, I want to show you the first church I ever pastored. It's going to be on the screen. I made $10,000 a year as the lead pastor. That's poverty. <clears throat> and to show you the financial capacity of that area, when I met my beautiful wife, Jenny, and decided to get married, and I went to the board, and I said, hey, I'm getting married. The director of the board said, he didn't say congratulations. He said, I hope you don't expect a raise just because you got married. <clears throat> because there was no money in the region. And the next day, I went down to the post office box and got a letter from the IRS, which is always fun. <clears throat> and it said, Dear Mr. Bonner, you've messed up your taxes, and you owe us $4,000 immediately, or we're going to take your truck and your possessions. And remember, this is back when the IRS would actually come after you. There was no making deals like today. And I had no family around. To give me money, the church wasn't going to give me a raise, and there was no jobs in the area to get. And so I went to bed that night trying to sleep, but I was just overwhelmed with stress and, you know, what am I going to do? And uh, I, before I went to bed, I went out on the deck and uh, I was staring at my door and I said, God, I, I need to know that you're with me. I'm going to turn around at the count of three and I'm going to point my finger in the sky and I need to see a shooting star. How many have ever done that? So I said, three, two, one, and I pointed to the night sky, and a shooting star flew right by my finger. And I was so excited, and I was dancing, and I was like, yes, God's got me. And then within an hour, the spiritual euphoria wore off because I realized I still didn't have $4,000 to give the IRS. The next morning, I get up, and I go to the post office again and there's a letter from my aunt and she owns a metal shop company in Omak, Washington. And the letter read, Dear Terry, I don't go to church, I'm not really a Christian, but we feel like we need to tithe on our business this one time only and we don't know any pastors so we're going to give the money to you. So here's a check for $4,000. Now see, you're all excited about the money but what really blew me away is that it took two weeks for that letter to actually arrive. That God had orchestrated the answer to my need two weeks before I even knew I had a problem. So some of you need to know today that your prayer has not been lost in the mail. And you've got to trust God with the outcomes. And just because you haven't heard from God yet doesn't mean you won't hear from him soon. Someone say amen. amen. Fast forward 11 years, I get hired at a church in Alaska as the lead pastor. They have a million-dollar facility. It's beautiful. It overlooks the bay. But it doesn't take me long to realize when I'm there that because of the mortgage and the property taxes and the insurance and the amount of staff we had, that we were only going to make it Sunday to Sunday. And that if we ever had one Sunday that was bad with giving, we were done. Luckily, we had a Baptist in the church. And this Baptist guy made most of the money, and he gave the biggest tithe check 
and he got paid every week, so he tithed every week. But after a while, my prayers on Saturday night were no longer for my sermon. They were for the offering. Because <laughs> I knew we were one Sunday away from just being in serious trouble. And so I would pray every Saturday night, God, let people give. Let that Baptist guy show up. We need him. And then God does what God does. And he started to bring a revival to the church. The church expanded to three services. God was doing amazing things. But they were non-Baptist things. And so one board meeting, the Baptist guy showed up and announced he was leaving and taking his money with him, which was a big chunk of our Sunday morning offering. And I realized that night that we were in trouble, that the, the day we dreaded finally arrived. We were no longer going to be able to pay for the mortgage and the staff. And so I did what any lead pastor would do when he's frustrated and stressed and doesn't know if God's going to come through, I played ping pong. I had a ping pong table in my office and the youth pastor and I went down there and I was telling him, the church is going under. We cannot afford this. It's over within a week. So we decided to play ping pong. And every time I swung the ping pong paddle, the enemy would just talk to me. You're such a loser. Why did you even come here? How are you going to explain that the church is going away? It's going to be so embarrassing. How are you going to tell the staff's family that they're fired? And it just got worse and worse until luckily my secretary came in and she said, hey, pastor, crazy revelation guy wants to speak with you. Now, crazy revelation guy worked at Walmart as a cart pusher. And he would often show up at the church with some crazy theory about the end times and God destroying America because of sin and he looked like Einstein with his hair just gray and black and just sticking out all over. So I told the youth pastor, hey, we're going down. Might as well talk to crazy revelation guy. And he comes in. He, it's like a drug deal gone bad. He sticks a, a big bag on the ping pong table and starts throwing down $100 bills and stacks of thousands. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. $5,000, $6,000, And then he leaves. And all of a sudden, my ping pong game improved. I'm the head and not the tail. I have peace that surpasses all understanding. All things work together for good. I mean, I was once again just jumping and excited and full of life. And then the secretary came back in and said, crazy revelation guy's back and wants to talk with you. And instantly my faith departed. And I thought, oh man, he talked to his wife. <laughs> she said, that's a bad idea. So I told the youth pastor, we're just gonna give him his money back. The ship's going down anyway. We don't need 7,000, we need 20,000. And he comes in and he has that same bag and he puts it on the, the table and starts dropping off $100 bills again in stacks of thousands. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. $6,000. Then he begins to tell me this story. And he says, you know, pastor, he said, 20 years ago, God told me start to save up money. And in 20 years on this day today, he said, you're going to go and give this money to either the government building, a business in town, or the church on the hill. And he said, I went to the government and they wouldn't meet with me. I went to the business. They wouldn't let me in the door but I came to your church and you were willing to talk with me. 
So here's the money. And it wasn't the amounts of money that blew me away. Once again, it was the fact that 20 years earlier that God had orchestrated a plan with a guy that pushed carts at Walmart to save for 20 years. I have a hard time saving for five days. He saved for 20 years. And God orchestrated the government building saying, no, you can't come in. And God orchestrated the business saying, no, we won't talk to you, just so he could come to our door and give us the money that we needed to have at least one more Sunday. And did it meet all of our financial needs? No, but it jump-started our faith to such a degree that we were willing to move on. And some of you, what you need today is a letter in the mail, or you need a crazy revelation guy to show up and jump-start your faith. The problem is, we're always saying these quick Twitter prayers, social media prayers, God, help me now. And, and we want him to respond instantly. And we look to our situation, we don't see him. We look in the future, we don't see God. We don't realize that God was behind us the whole time, orchestrating everything for our benefit. So I would encourage some of you today, don't look for God ahead of you, look for him behind you. We want a microwave, but God often works as a crock pot. <laughs> you got to give him time to work. He's not a vending machine. It's not a transactional relationship. He's a God that not only knows what you need, but he knows when you need him. He's intentional. The Bible says he's not slack concerning his promises. His timing is perfect for you. Our timing is always emotional. It's like when you go to the used car lot and you... You buy that car, then the next day you just kind of wish you would have waited three days. <laughs> and you spend the next eight years paying for a car you didn't really like anyway. And you, you just think to yourselves, man, I wish I really just would have thought about it. Well, the good news for you is God's thought about your life. He knows exactly where you're at and where you're going. His timing is perfect. So don't be so blinded by your storm and your situation that you can't see the truth. Here's the amazing thing that God has already thought of your life and has an answer for your problem. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 says, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. God knew your future before you knew your future. God knows your future now. Here's the amazing thing. God knew pursuit before pursuit thought about pursuit. And there's a story in the Bible about a man. We all know the story of Jonah and the well. And it's an amazing story because God organized some pretty horrific things to happen to him. Now, I'm a gift card pastor. I give $50 gift cards to staff when they do well or they need encouragement. And you know, it doesn't take long when you're giving out gift cards before people start recognizing you as the gift card pastor. And then you walk down the hall, they're like, hmm, I wonder if the gift card pastor's coming. If I walk in the office, it's always like, hmm, I wonder if I'm gonna get something. Well, Jonah was a gift card prophet. He was a celebrity prophet that everyone loved. Everything he said turned to gold, always giving good prophetic words to Israel, never bad ones. And people couldn't wait for him to show up. But that was all about to change because God was going to give him a new assignment to try to bless his enemy. 
And in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God gave this message to Jonah. Get up and go to Nineveh. Announce my judgment, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. See, Jonah didn't want to bless his enemy because he would have lost his status. He wasn't afraid of dying. He was afraid of giving up his popularity. Kind of like today's celebrity pastors who have opinions about everything, but are deathly silent when it comes to speaking about abortion. Jonah says, no way, I'm not going. And he books a one-way ticket in the other direction, anywhere but here. And the Bible says that a storm hit the boat. And the crew of the boat were confused, and they're like, what's going on? And Jonah says, well, I'm a Jew, and I'm rebelling from God, and if you don't throw me overboard, we're all going to die. So they say, okay. <laughs> and they throw the poor guy overboard, the storm subsides, the ship sails away, and a big whale comes and swallows Jonah. And Jonah is in the belly of a whale for three days. But something amazing happened to Jonah in the belly of the whale. Never underestimate the power of God to change you before he changes your circumstance. <clears throat> when Jonah went into the whale, he was a selfish, spoiled, celebrity prophet. But within two days, it says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 4, it says, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. And Jonah looks up and begins to pray. And you know what? At this point, Jonah hadn't read the book of Jonah. He didn't know he was going to be saved. He just thought he was going to die. So he starts to look up and he starts to pray. Do you ever notice anytime we're in a horrible situation, we always look down in shame and grief. But we need to begin to look up and begin to point our attention to God and to pray. No matter what your situation is, always look up. Then it gets better. In verse 9, he says, But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. He began to worship and celebrate. The Bible says that God goes out against our enemy at the beat of our worship. Whatever situation you're in, begin to celebrate. You know, I learned that when I'm in a tough spot, I can pray. But it's a whole nother thing to worship. I mean, I'm willing to say, God, why do you have me in this situation? But, but to be willing to open your mouth and to begin to worship him in the midst of it changes everything. Changes your perspective. No matter what, celebrate. Well, then the whale spits him out on the beach and Jonah goes up to the Ninevites and he says to them, repent or God's going to kill you. And they say, okay. I mean, look at it. Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Jonah went through all of this and he shows up and they're just like, yeah, whatever, okay, I repent. I mean, if I'm Jonah, I'm like, are you serious? I spent three days in the belly of a whale. I look like a coward for running away. I lost my popularity for you just to instantly say, okay, I repent. But you gotta understand the situation. If Jonah would have obeyed God right off the bat and went to Nineveh, 
as a celebrity, good-looking Jewish prophet, they would have killed him on the spot because the Jews were their enemies. But he didn't do that. He rebelled, and he went into the belly of a whale. And when he was in the belly of the whale, he, had, he didn't have sunshine for three days, so his eyes changed. And the chemicals in the belly made his hair fall out. And his skin became slimy and grayish, kind of like a fish. So when Jonah arrives on the beach and tells the Ninevites they need to repent, and he was looking like some half-fish, half-human man, he had forgotten that the Ninevites and the Assyrians worshipped Dagon, the fish god. And here's a picture of him. Dagon was half fish and half man. And when they saw Jonah, they thought it was their fish god, calling them to repent and turn to the true God. So they did. They automatically repented. God orchestrated every part of Jonah's story, from his rebellion, to the storm, to the ship, to being thrown overboard, to being put in the belly of a whale. God orchestrated him losing his hair. I mean, some of you don't have any hair, and you're like, oh, I don't know what my future is. This bald guy saved a nation. Who knows what you can do in America? Maybe God is orchestrating every part of your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in order to help someone else. Listen to this. Who is waiting on the other side of your perseverance? If you give up now, who misses out? And I know you may be sitting there thinking, well, pastor, you have a microphone, you dressed up, good for you. But we know how pastors live, never have a problem, never have an issue. <clears throat> well, you know, my sister Cody, she was the life of the party. She was cutest little thing. And I'd come home from the Navy in my dress whites and I would go to her elementary school and I'd be the show and tell. And she's like, this is my brother, he's in the Navy. And I'd be like, then we go to recess and they, the kids would grab my hat off my head and they'd throw it. They'd all run and get it and bring it back and put it on my head, dirty. Well, then she developed cancer and then she died. And I was angry for years. But you can't be a pastor and be angry because no one wants to show up Sunday after Sunday and hear from an angry pastor. So I stuffed my anger deep inside and preached and worshiped week after week because I thought if I gave up my anger that I would forgive my sister. But it doesn't work that way. Well, I hit it for 10 years and then one fateful day I was visiting another church in Alaska and the pastor saw me and I was hiding out in the back. Whenever you hide out in the back, Something's going to happen. He points to me and he says, Terry Bonner's here. So I'm like clapping. And then he says something that just shook me. He pointed at me and he said, his sister died of cancer. And I, I was like tilt. All that anger just began to rise up in me. And then he said, we have four ladies here that are dying of cancer and Pastor Terry's going to come pray for them. And I thought, no, I'm not. I was mad. It was bubbling up. And then he said, Terry, come forward. 
And I was like, God, why did I have to become a pastor? <laughs> so I walked up there looking nice, but inside just upset. And I put my hands on this grandma's head. And it was probably the most uninspired, unpassionate prayer you could ever pray. But something snapped inside of me, something changed, and all of that anger of 10 years left immediately. And from that day to this, it's one of my greatest honors is to pray for people that have cancer, who are suicidal, who are frustrated, depressed, given up on life, because I know what it's like to go through those things. You know, we spend all of our time trying to avoid pain and heartbreak, trying to live our best life now, and when bad things happen, as they tend to do, we think we're worthless and lost and useless to God. But we forget something. That it's actually our pain and trauma that give us a platform to help other people. So while you may be here today upset with the situation you're in, thinking you're disqualified from ministry and life because what you're doing, you're not disqualified, you're actually qualified and getting ready to be anointed to do something to help someone else. You know, the scripture Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good. And when my sister was going through cancer, I was very upset with that scripture because everybody, God would give it to me two or three times. If I heard someone preach it, I didn't like it, I was upset. Because when you watch your sister dying of cancer and you hear someone say, well, all things work together for good, you don't wanna hear that. I couldn't see it, I'm black and white. And then when she died, God kept giving me this verse, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Well, if you think you're upset with God when she's alive and he's telling you that, and then she dies and he keeps telling you that, it's worse. And then one day, we moved back to Seattle and I was at work one night and I see this guy crossing the street with a glass of red wine. He walks right up to my job, knocks on the window. I said, yes, and he said, hey, the Lord just told me to come over here and tell you Romans 8, 28. You know what's amazing about God? Not only does he orchestrate everything for our good behind the scenes, he's always there to encourage us along the way when we need it. And I wanna encourage some of you today that you're right where God wants you to be even if you don't feel like it. We always tend to look at everyone else in the room as the best looking, the best smelling, everything's together, their, their house is always clean, God's blessing them. But you'd be shocked at how many people come to church in the same situation that you're in. The last thing before we close. I believe in this wholeheartedly. Pray like you're winning because you are. Pray like you're winning because you are. So the next time you pray, be happy and confident knowing that like Jonah, God's working everything out. I often say there's no bad prayer. Your worst prayer on your worst day is amazing. But I will tell you this, when you're in the middle of a situation, your prayers better not be sullen and down and depressing. You gotta look up like Jonah and be confident because you're winning. 
If you came into my office today, you'd see on my whiteboard a phrase that says, it's just a thing. Be happy and move on. And the other day I was watching a video on Facebook and this guy was lifting weights and he said that phrase. He goes, beware of anyone that uses the phrase, it's just a thing. And I thought, ooh, that's me, I wanna listen. Is he saying I'm a serial killer? I don't understand. <laughs> so I'm watching him lift weights and he goes, beware of people that say it's just a thing because they've been drugged through hell and survived and can get through anything. And the book of James says to be happy and joyful when you're going through tough times because if you process it correctly, it'll make you a better person. It'll make you the type of person that God can use you because nothing offends you, nothing affects you. It's just a thing. Be happy and move on. So I wanna encourage you today as we pray that God knows exactly where you're at. You're exactly in his hands, following his plan, and it's all gonna work out. Your best days are ahead of you. Your best days are ahead of you. I'm gonna say it again. Your best days are ahead of you. So come on, stand with me as we pray. Father, I thank you right now for everyone in this room. I thank you for your plan and your purpose for their life. I thank you, God, that you're orchestrating everything in their life according to your plan. Come on, and everyone said, amen.